Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hydrogen's slowly gaining ground as a transport fuel, but it's it's got rather a dirty secret. Most of the world's supply of the gas is made by reacting methane with steam at high temperatures. That uses a lot of energy and it releases a lot of the greenhouse gas carbon dioxide. So hydrogen at the moment isn't actually that much of a clean fuel. The key would be to use electricity from renewable sources to split water by electrolysis to make hydrogen. The trouble is that that's kind of too expensive at the moment. One of the main reasons it's expensive is because solar cells at the moment don't produce enough voltage to split water. You need 1.8 to 2 volts uh, to split water apart. And silicon solar cells, which are the, the main one that we see around the world, can't deliver that voltage. So you need three or four of them connected together in series to actually get water falling apart to produce hydrogen. So, and, the, solution, really... so the solution then is to, to come up with some kind of solar panel that's capable of producing a sufficiently big voltage without having to have a big sequence of these cells coupled together. That's right, Chris. And and that's where perovskite cells come in. They can produce a pretty beefy voltage of up to 1.5 volts. So you really only need two of them to split water. Fewer solar cells, you're automatically making this process cheaper. And the best thing is perovskite cells uh, use a really cheap and easy to manufacture light absorbing layer that's based on lead compounds. And progress with these cells has been absolutely remarkable. In 2009, their efficiency at converting light to electricity was 3.8%. Today, it's almost 20%. And that progress is continuing. They're now rivaling solar cells in how efficient they are. And what makes it special? Why can it do that? Well, it's down to something called this band gap, which is basically the amount of light energy that its electrons can absorb. Um, silicon has a relatively small band gap, um, so it tends to absorb towards the red end of the spectrum, um, and the size of that band gap really determines what voltage it can put out. Perovskite um, absorbs much more towards the blue end of the spectrum, um, and it can just deliver a higher voltage because the, the photons of light that it's sucking in um, are basically each of those hold more energy and that produces electrons with a higher voltage. So if we were to try and deploy this, how would it be used? What would happen and would it actually work? Well, that's a good question. It's, a, it's clearly a laboratory prototype, so it's a long way from being scaled up. Overall, the system that they produced um, has a light to hydrogen conversion efficiency of 12.3%. Now, nothing else that uses cheap and abundant materials has got above 10%. Um, so that's already a good start. But because perovskite cells are improving so quickly at the moment, that could rise to 15% and beyond. Now, crucially, that's in line with the US Department of Energy goals 
for solar hydrogen production, which is aiming for a 15% efficiency by 2015 and 20% efficiency by 2020. Now, by the end of the decade, if you're reaching those sorts of efficiencies, you're starting to see something which may become commercially competitive. So it's well on the right road. Now, crucially, if it can get to that level, um, you're not only talking about using hydrogen as a transportation fuel, you could actually use hydrogen to sort of bank excess energy generated by solar power and then deploy that hydrogen at night time or during a cloudy day um, or when demand surges. So you can push that hydrogen through, for example, a fuel cell to generate electricity and storing energy in hydrogen in that way might, in some circumstance, circumstances, be more convenient than using like pumped hydropower systems. And it's certainly a lot cheaper than batteries. Whether it makes economic sense is always going to be the big question. And when you're dealing with something that's just been done in the laboratory, it's, it's actually incredibly difficult to sort of do the math to, to scale that up to see whether it would be economic on a large scale, because there are so many different factors involved. And of course, you're competing with a decades, um, actually probably more than a century old technology of steam reforming, where you're mixing methane and steam to make hydrogen. Um, it's always going to be difficult to compete with that. So this is the sort of system that in its early days, you're likely to see it supported by tax breaks and incentives and things like that, which we've seen for other renewable fuels as well.